0: You're listening to the Pimp Crime Podcast. Welcome one and welcome all, but not welcome everyone in between. You like just either one of you are welcome or all are you all of you are welcome, but not like four or twelve or seven thousand. Just nowhere in the middle. It's either one person or all of you. Welcome one, and welcome all. I've wore this joke into the ground. This is episode 137 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer podcast, and I am uh, thankful to my Patreon patrons for supporting the show. Thank you very much, and thank you for Mike, who is our mother flipping lord and uh, leader of the whole dynasty, and uh, thank you to all my badass Cryptex and my funky warriors and my adorable gold trim scarabs, and... Thank you to gamemat.eu, and you can use the code EVENT10 to get 10% off your order, and they, uh, that shows that you listen to the show and you support us and them, and I appreciate it, and they sell pre-painted terrain, which is fantastic, and all sorts of shapes and sizes of colorful mats, double-sided mats, welcome mats, no, they don't do welcome mats, um, shower mats, nope, they don't do those either, guys name mat, well... I don't know. So anyway, what are we talking about tonight? Um, we are talking about how 40K has the best plot device ever. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Because, boy, that that is a conversation that takes you on a ride. You don't even know where it's going. And we also have a message on Facebook from Levi. And he... Um, he writes in and asks what he should get next for his Hedonites of Slanesh army. And um, he tells us what he has and blah, blah, blah. And we give him suggestions. And a fun fact, I was almost named Levi. Yeah, it was either um, my real name or it was Levi. And uh, my real name won out when I was a baby. So that is that is a fun fact about Pemcron that you did not care to know, but you can't help but know it now because I just told you. And being that this is something that I'm making such a big deal out of now, instead of just being a fun fact, you're never going to forget it. You will go to your grave knowing that I was almost Levi. So I uh, just want you to know that. It'll probably be on your tombstone. It'll probably be, a, to be honest with you, it'll probably be your last words. It will be like, come closer, uh, come closer, Pimpcron was almost named Levi. Ugh. And you're just getting, That was That was it. And your kids are going to be so confused. They're just... They're going to be really confused. Like, who is... What? I don't... I don't know what this is. Uh, man, I am on a tirade. So, what else we have? A Want That I Want That Not Cursed City. Warhammer Quest Cursed City. And uh, do I want that? Is it a huge waste of money? Is it a fantastic deal? I guess we'll have to figure out, won't we? So, what have I been up to? I've written chapter 3 and 4 of the uh brutality novel I'm writing. In the Hobby Progress, I have painted a ton of Nighthaunt. And I mean a ton of Nighthaunt. In this last week I have fully painted um ten Grim Ghast Reapers, twenty Dread Scythe Heritans. The week before that I painted ten uh chain rasps and, um, I'm updating all my other paint jobs to match my new color scheme, which is pretty cool. I'm excited about that. And, uh, I just, today, um, I, I had assembled all of my unmade themed Slaves to Darkness army, and I had them all assembled and all that for about a year now, and I've never primed them, never done anything with them. Well, I broke them out, today was a pretty day, and I primed those suckers, so tonight I will be painting on my unmade Chaos, uh, Slaves to Darkness army. Very excited about that. Um, I'm almost finished painting my Brutality Warband for the upcoming tournament, which I'm excited about, the Gauntlet Tournament. And what else? So I'm I'm doing a warband that's all rats, different rats, swarms of rats, giant rats, monster rats, all that, right? For um, Brutality. And um, then it hit me. I'm like, oh my god, I have to go buy the Heroclix Rat King from Ninja Turtles. I just have to do this. So I bought him. He's He came in the mail. I got to repaint him a little bit because, you know, Heroclix suck. But um, I'm pretty excited about it, because you know, I was just going to have this rat queen, which is a giant fat rat, and she's got this hole in her stomach where rats come out, and I'm thinking, you know, it's all fine and well to have a rat queen, but you know what? What's a queen without her king, and vice versa? So, uh, the rat king is going to be this dude, you you know what he looks like, he's just a human. And um, he's going to be madly in love with this rat queen. So she's actually going to be in charge and he's going to be like her lieutenant. And he's like madly in love with her. Unfortunately, he can't make rat babies with her because he only shoots human babies. But, you know, what what do you do about that? Right. It's, it's a forbidden love. So <laughs> uh, I think that's about it. I'm selling a bunch more stuff. So that's, that's exciting, um, slimming down more Warhammer. And it's funny because I was talking to a friend the other day and I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, selling a bunch of my Warhammer stuff. He's like, oh man, you're getting out of it? I'm like, oh no, 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 I'm not getting out of it. I'm just, I'm trimming down all my armies from like 5,000 points to 2,000 points. And that's, that's basically what my goal is. Every single one of my armies will be 2,000 points, maybe 2,500, but not 3,000, not 4,000, none of that. Because I'm just going to pick the units that I want I'm going to have a certain play style with them, and that's that. I've got so many boxes of stuff that I don't need. So that is what I'm doing now. And I think that's about it. Um, I've really been enjoying writing the brutality stories, the short stories, and on the novel and all that. So um, we'll see how that goes. And um, i have really feeling that I'm I'm growing and learning as a writer, and I've learned a lot in the last two years. So that's all really exciting, and that's a passion of mine. So also um, Brutality, Shorehammer tickets will be going on sale soon. Usually we do them April 1st. We are trying to get a couple new tournaments lined up with some tournament organizers. So I'm actually delayed by a little bit because I don't want to have tickets sold. And then it's a nightmare for me to edit everybody's orders and all that. I'd rather it all be ready when it's said and done. So probably like April 15th. Is what I'm shooting for for tickets to go on sale. But uh, I'm done the new logo. It's ad mech themed this year, and I like it. And uh, that's about it. So let's get on with this show road. Get the show on the road, is what I meant to say. Let's go to the next segment. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On today's edition of Tesseract Mailbox, we have a message from Levi on Facebook, and you can reach me at facebook.com slash with one P, and pimpcron at gmail.com, which is two P's, pimp cron Levi writes, Hey, Pimpcron, I got Shadow and Pain recently. I have been enjoying putting together the models and flipping through the book. I was just wondering what I should get first for my Slaanesh demons. There are so many choices right now for Slaanesh, and they are all visually appealing to me. But I'm new to the game and don't know the rules. What would be help- what would be a helpful unit to get next? Levi from Hemet. So, Levi, thank you for writing in, I appreciate it, and I have not dipped my toe in Hedonites of Slaanesh yet, but I had to speak to just James because he actually does play them. And to be honest, the advice is the sky is the limit, because this army is, in keeping with a lot of the new GW armies, there are no quote-unquote bad units. Of course, some units are better than others, but um, if you're talking strictly competitively, um, we are also not super competitive, but I can tell you just from a logical standpoint that we determined that um, if you're going to, let's just assume that you're going to spend $150 on your next purchase. That's your maximum then there would be three different ways that you probably want to go to continue starting this army. Number one, of course, would be the start collecting. The uh, Slaanesh Demons start collecting. It comes with the uh, big old combine lady, and which can either be the regular soul Flare or whatever it's called, or it can be the exalted herald or whatever on the soul Flare. So that's good. The reason for that is because a lot of your stuff in the Slinish army are kind of squishy, and they don't have a lot of hit points, and their save isn't very good, etc. So having a hero with, you know, 10 hit points or whatever it is, how many wounds that, that Flare has, is actually really nice because it makes them more durable. Um, it That start collecting also comes with um, five of the not fiends of Slanish. The Seekers, the Slanesh Seekers, which are the Demonettes on the Slaneshi Seekers. And they are a cavalry unit, which is nice. That would fit well with your Shadow and Pain, um whatever those guys are called, those cavalry that you got in there. This would be more cavalry. It's a different unit, but it's in keeping with your fast mobile theme that you already have established. One last thing is that the start collecting box is only ninety dollars, so that's um not taking up the whole 150 that we originally declared, and it gives you 10 more demonettes. I believe that the Shadow and Pain only came with 10 demonettes. It might be 20, but regardless, whether it's 10 or 20, it's always nice to have more demonettes, because demonettes are also pretty squishy. Now they get a lot of attacks and things like that, and you definitely want large units of them. Um, Or, if you're not going with large units, then you want several small units of them. But your bravery is pretty high, so... um, it's not likely to affect you as much as some lower bravery armies having large units that will take mass casualties. So, to be honest with you, if I'm, if I'm saying the most reasonable and responsible thing I can as a new player, I would say get the start collecting box because it's going to flesh out your demonettes, it's going to give you more cavalry, and it's going to give you essentially two different units. You can use it as the exalted um, lady on the flare or just the regular old soul combine so that is the most responsible thing i can tell you to be honest with you though uh for that 150 dollars, that could get you three boxes of slanesh fiends and those fiends are no joke that's what uh james beat the crap out of me with last week is um uh, i think he had six in a squad but this would give you nine And they've got all sorts of buffs, minus ones to hit, and all sorts of stuff. They get better when you have over three, I think, in the unit. And um, they're legitimately no joke. So having nine fiends would give you a lot more punch in your existing army than you have right now. But the third option that we decided was, and this is my personal favorite option, to be honest with you, and I've got several reasons why this is. You probably want to spend $140 and get the Keeper of Secrets or the Named Lady, but I specifically prefer the Keeper of Secrets. That's the big one, the big monster. Number one, it has a four-up save, and I think it's 14 wounds. It's a lot of wounds, and it's got a good save, and um, it's also what we would call... You say you're new to the game, so I'm not sure if you know this... uh, this term or not, but it's a distraction Carnifex. So, in 40k, there's an army called the Tyranids, and they've got these semi-large monsters called Carnifexes, and it's really fun to just send one into the enemy ranks, and they either have to deal with that, and then they're not shooting all your other stuff. Or, if they shoot all your other stuff and ignore that, now that's in their face. And a Keeper of Secrets is also no joke. That is what killed 15 out of 20 of my uh, Dreadscythe Herodans In one melee turn. I mean, just disgusting. And um, so not only are you getting a leader out of that, but you're also getting a behemoth out of that. You're also getting a multi-wound, as in 12 or 14 wounds, with a 4-up save. Which a 4-up save is kind of hard to get in your Slaanesh army. Most things are a 5-up. Not to mention that, but it's also a Psyker, which is going to be giving you some Psychic Protection compared to what you currently have, because the Chieftain, or whatever you call him in the Shadow and Pain, I don't believe he's a wizard. So as of what you have right now, you have no wizards. So the Keeper of Secrets would give you a wizard, so you'd have Psychic Protection, and you would also get to cast two spells each turn, because that's what it gets to do. Um, It also buffs people, etc., etc. It does other things, but To recap, if you want to do the sensible and more reasonable option, then you should probably bulk out your forces with a start collecting. That'll do all the things I already described. If you want a really heavy hitting unit instead, then I would go with the fiends. If you want a heavy hitting unit that is also a leader and a psyker and cast two powers and has one of the best saves in your army, I would go with the keeper of secrets. It kind of depends on which way you want to go with it, but to be honest, It depends on what your gaming group is like, because I always go after models that I find aesthetically pleasing first, and then later on I find out whether or not they're good or not. That's the reason why I had uh, 40 Necron flayed ones for the last four editions, because uh, it wasn't until 8th edition that they were any good, and even then they weren't like hot stuff, but they at least weren't a penalty for taking them, and um, flayed ones are Necrons in 40k and uh but i took them because i like them so if i would first suggest that you take something that you enjoy you en- you will enjoy putting together you'll enjoy playing with but if you really do want my opinion those three options is what I would personally go with, depending on which direction you want to take. And even if you do choose one of these and you wait a little while and you want to get another one, I would then pick another one of these three options. Because if you were to get all three of these options, you would have a really badass unit of fiends that will kick butt. You would have the hero psyker giant monster that also kicks butt. And then you'd also be fleshing out all of your troops. So... Hopefully, I didn't uh, belabor that topic, but I appreciate you contacting us and asking our opinion, Levi. Thank you for writing in, and please, guys, uh, keep writing in because we need letters and we need things like that, um, messages and things like that, because we are well is dry for messages, and it's weird because I don't know why, but the fan mail comes in like waves, Sometimes I've got a waiting list of five weeks of people that all message me at the same time, and I'm like, I'm sorry, you're three weeks deep, or something like that. And a couple times I've gotten so many of the similar messages, I've just lumped them all together in one segment. And then there's other times when, like, no (laughs) no one writes in. So it's just, it's weird. It's, It's feast or famine here at the Tesseract Mailbox. Let's get on to the next segment. Want that or want that not? And here's the segment that you all know and love. It is They Want That or Want That Not. And we are covering Warhammer Quest, The Cursed City this week. And I gotta tell you, I am excited for this game. Will I play it? Absolutely not. But I'm very excited for it. And the reason for it is that even though it has a hefty price tag at 199 USD, it is chock full of all sorts of models that I cannot wait to get my hands on. I really was, was like, oh gosh, it looks neat. I even like the cover art. You know, it's a a board game, which I'm never, ever going to play. Just James occasionally will get me to play Silver Tower or something. But I'm not too much of a board game guy anymore now that I've got Warhammer and Brutality. But, man, these models are fantastic. So, number one, it comes with 60 models. You heard that right. Six zero models. So, for $200, essentially... You're paying, uh, what, $3 a model, basically. Like, $3 a model is a freaking steal from GW, being that most things are in the $10 to $15 a model range. Um, it comes with uh two, four, six, eight characters. They all look really cool. you got a cool ogre. I'm sure you've seen these online. Really cool-looking ogre. He'd make a great character somewhere. You've got a wanderer elf with the bow and arrow. I find them to be a little generic the witch hunter is fantastic they've got um i can't tell if it's a crossbow it's a shotgun but they've got the witch hunter hat exactly what you'd expect and they just look this is one of the reasons why when i saw the witch hunter i was like i think i gotta get this box there's a pretty generic-looking paladin sort of person with fur and a sword. There's a neat Caradron Overlord-looking character, and he's got like a harpoon gun and eye patch. He would make a really cool uh, leader for my Caradron, so that's what I'm going to use him for. Um, there's another guy that I can't even tell what he is. He's kind of blah. Um, just a regular dude. He's got his head half-shaved. He almost looks like a um, Valhallen almost. So you if you had a Valhallan army, he would actually make a pretty cool Lord Commissar or something like that company commander. There's another really cool looking lady that would make a really cool hospitaller for Sisters of Battle or maybe something for Stormcast and she looks like I want to say she's a healer, although she's got three swords or three knives and she's got a staff and her cowl is hanging over her eyes and She's got this really cool-looking motif. She's either a wizard or a healer of some sort. Then, finally, you get creepy bastard in the background. Uh, This guy, he is... um, It's hard to put into words exactly what he is. He's very narrow. He's a wizard of some sort. He's got a long staff. He's got a really interesting thin 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 beard that goes all the way to the ground Uh, he's got necromancer written all over him to me and what will end up happening is a lot of these will probably end up being brutality models for warbands but that's just how that goes right um all these characters are really cool looking then you get into the bosses for the enemies and the bosses for the enemies every single one of them except for one really knock my socks off okay So what you've got here is you've got this awesome looking dude with, uh, he looks almost like something out of Silent Hill, you know, like Pyramid Head. This guy with the giant spade shovel and the hook for a hand and like a wooden part of a coffin over his head, he gives me distinct Pyramid Head vibes and I absolutely love him. This is one of the other reasons why I had to get this box. The Witch Hunter is number one of them, the Caradron guy, the Fu Manchu uh, necromancer, and the healer lady. All of those look really cool. Another person that looks really cool is this Pyramid Head guy. The main <laughs> the main villain of this whole thing is, to be honest with you, my least favorite character of the villain characters. And essentially, he looks like a way over the top um, Valhallen as well. He's got like the fur hat, he's got this giant wolf pelt on. i I don't f- see him as anything intimidating whatsoever. i I had heard that he's the main villain and to be honest with you, I'm pretty disappointed in that. Um, then you've got a skeleton warrior in armor with he still has hair, but he's pretty cool looking. and you have a giant bat creature thing and man, I cannot wait to get this model. This is another one of those models that I was like... Oh my god, I have to get this. And uh, I don't... He's like a werewolf bat? I don't know. He's not a um, Vargeist or anything like that. He's not a Vargolf. But he will definitely make it into my Soulblight Army... Or Flesh Eater Quartz or something. Because he's awesome. Then you've got like the old hermit with a crow... And he's blind. And there's like some sort of small animals around him. And he's holding candles... He would make an awesome brutality model, in my personal opinion. So, uh, those are all of the characters, the bad guy characters. Then you've got a bunch of uh, bat swarms, which I play a lot of bat swarms in my Soulblight, so that's exciting. You get a bunch of zombies, and all the zombies have roots growing through them and things like that, which is neat. You've also got a bunch of vampires, and the vampires are so cool looking. The vampires are like hanging off pillars, they all have a sword, they've got long hair, and they're very feral looking, and I absolutely love them as well. Then you've got two guys that look like the brothers of that, um, uh, did I say Valhallen earlier? I meant Voyestrin. I meant, this whole time I meant Voyestrin, not Valhallen. Too many V words. So, um, the Voyestrin brothers in the back with the big axes, they're kinda, eh, whatever I guess. And you get a bunch of new skeleton warriors with um, shields and swords, which is neat. I'm excited for that. Then, what you also get, which is really cool, is you get six swarms of rats. And I don't know why I'm so excited about it, but I truly am. These These rats are pretty darn cool looking. Then after that, you're like, oh, Pemcron's done with this review. No, I am not. They come with a bunch of objective markers. They've got two, four, six, eight, ten objective markers, and these have brutality written all over them, inscribed in them. There are two little weird imp guys, which are really cool. What I really enjoy is the sign markers, which are skeletons hanging from a gallows with their arms pointing which is fantastic. Then we've also got two crows, two tombstones, and two disgusting like uh, zombie rats. And these are just... I I don't know why I'm so excited, but I am truly, truly excited over that. Um, Then, of course, it comes with all the stuff that you actually need to play the game, which I am not even going to bother with. Um, Occasionally, I will keep catacombs and stuff to play solo, like dungeon crawlers with brutality. So I might do that, but meh. I'm not not too concerned with it, to be honest with you. I'm just very, very excited about these miniatures. And at $3 a pop, you know what? I'll deal with it. I'll deal with the price tag. To be honest with you, that was my limit, was $200. Because I was talking to my um friendly local gaming store owner, JD. And uh, when this was announced, I was like, man, those models are so cool looking. I told him, look, I'm hearing that it might be $250 or something like that. I said, look, if it's $200 or less, $170, something like that, sign me up. Order me one, pre-order it, whatever. Get it in my belly. But if it's more than $200, then you know what? I'm not doing it. And further proof that GW has my phone tapped, they put it at 199 USD, which was very kind of them because I didn't think they wanted to hear me bitch and complain about not getting the Cursed City box because it was $205. They know I'm a man of my word and that I would not have bought it if it was over $200 because I said it. So I this is definitely a want that for me. Matter of fact, I've already ordered it and I'll probably be getting it whenever it comes out this week or the following week. Very, very excited about it. As far as brutality goes, there's multiple. Matter of fact, most of these... Models will probably be used in Brutality rather than Warhammer, but that's just the nature of the beast. Definitely the drawn guy is going with my drawn, and uh, some other people I'll use as characters or whatever, but um, I really think this whole box set has a really cool aesthetic to it. It's very creepy, it's very dark. Even the box art is all like white, black, and red. It's just, it has an amazing look to it, and I think they really knocked that out of the park, to be honest with you. I feel like the only letdown is that a boxed game comes with these models because I don't give a crap about that. And the only other letdown is the main boss, unless I'm incorrect, the main boss is just some voyestrian-looking dude with a fur hat and a big mink coat. Like, it's kind of blah. But the rest of it is really cool, so maybe I'll just sell him off. I'm sure somebody will be willing to pay, like, $75 for that model because that's the way these box sets go. You you just buy them and break them up and sell them. I mean, I'm not going to do that, but that's that's what they do. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. This week's topic for Real Talk with the Pimpcron is that 40k has the best plot device. So, this week, Pimpcron, that's me, talks about dealing with corners that writers paint themselves in. Being that I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan, I'll use that as an example because it comes naturally to me. So, um, many series, including Star Trek, can learn from 40k. So technology is the problem for Star Trek. And you're thinking, well, I just got into this thinking I was talking about 40k, but now we're talking about Star Trek. You know, you're just going to hang on here, okay? I got a point. I have loved and enjoyed all of the Star Trek series. But even though I enjoyed it, Voyager ruined a lot of things in Star Trek. That show went out on a limb on several topics and essentially ruined the odds of having any quote-unquote present-day shows. I'm not talking about ratings, which, to be honest, Voyager ratings was always kind of in a slump. I'm not talking about the acting, because some of that was fantastic in Voyager. They have some of the most iconic characters and iconic actors, Um, specifically the Doctor, specifically Catherine Janeway, and specifically Seven of Nine. Those three characters are icons in the Star Trek scene. What I'm really talking about is writing themselves into a corner with the advancement of technology. Keep in mind, no hate here, I love Voyager. But these are just the facts. I will use the Doctor, who I just mentioned, the EMH, the Emergency Medical Hologram, as my example. Though there are many from this series. Here is a very brief overview for you non-Star Trek fans. The Emergency Medical Hologram Doctor is the Doctor aboard their ship. There was a hologram that could draw its knowledge and its computer power off the ship's computer. He could initially only materialize in sickbay or the holodeck due to where the holo emitters were because they weren't all through the ship. He wasn't ever designed to be used constantly, but for "quote unquote" reasons, they didn't have a flesh and blood doctor. I mean, I know the reason, but there's no reason it's irrelevant to this point. Over the course of the series, his, quote-unquote, consciousness became more and more complex as he learned, and eventually earned the title of sentient entity, essentially. I love the Doctor, but this one character ruined any chance of any new present-day, you know, TNG-era shows being made. Now, I know Lower Decks is technically TNG-era, but just shut up, okay? Just just shut up. That's why... They've been doing prequels from, you know, Star Trek Enterprise and then Star Trek Discovery and now the Captain Pike show and all that. They keep doing prequels. And it, the reason why is that holograms are the elephant in the room now for Star Trek. It's been established that holograms do a ton of menial jobs for the Federation, but have extremely low AI intentionally. It could be argued, and the doctor does argue this, that those holograms should be given full sentience and freedoms like other citizens. They are intentionally being held down and have potential just like regular humans do. If that's the case, why risk human or alien lives discovering the galaxy? If the hologram hooks up to all the ship's systems, why not make drone starships for exploration and warfare where there are no flush bags on it at all? Just hook a hologram up to the entire ship and he could run it all, risking no lives whatsoever. Well, for starters, that would be really boring. But it would be practical. And Star Trek viewers are notoriously keen on small de- details. So nobody has to ask this. Nobody has to ask why, you know, they they don't do that. Because you wouldn't have a show. Um, but projecting future tech is impossible. The other reason why we will have a hard time making a next generation era show after Voyager is because it is so hard to pro- project what new tech we will be getting, especially several hundred years in the future. The technology that we have now, in many ways, um, surpasses what we see on screen, and Voyager was just set in the late 1990s. Now, Discovery, in a, it's, it's such a weird thing because these TV shows set a bar for technology, and now we've actually surpassed that bar of technology. But all those shows are still canon, and I'm kind of getting in a little bit of a tirade here. But Discovery, the reason why a lot of people hate Discovery is they've just messed up a lot of the canon as far as the technology level in the Kirk era. Although it does make sense, it doesn't make sense in that timeline and whatever. I just really can't get into it right now. But ultimately. Technology is about cutting out the middleman. Just take a look at sending a message. It started with couriers or carrier carriers, couriers, couriers. Couriers physically having to send messages. Then they trained pigeons, then sending letters via people. After that we could send messages via telegraph, then corded phone, then mobile phone. But there were drawbacks to all these due to cost and international international call prices. Nowadays, with things like Skype and other services, international calls are free and instant, requiring no middleman whatsoever, unless you're talking about the program as a middleman. Um, I could text a dude in China if I wanted to. This process went from me sending some dude around the world to send a message by hand to just a couple button presses. I've often thought that with all the complex computing in Star Trek, why don't they just have a skeleton crew and nearly everything be automated? With the computer running all the tedious tasks, couldn't the bridge crew just run and maintain everything? Meanwhile, like the the Enterprise-D had like, what was a thousand people on board? And I do know civilians were on board as well, but it was hundreds of people to run the ship. And you're thinking, why don't you just automate it? Of course somebody will respond it with no they couldn't because of blah 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 reasons how automated is your car right now they've got self driving cars they've got self parking cars now add 3 or 400 years of innovation it really is no brainer technology's habit of cutting out the middleman is a real problem for futuristic settings and the reason is it all leads to singularity now man you did not think you were coming in for a philosophy topic tonight but uh this is where it's going so buckle up buttercup okay it all leads to singularity cutting out the middleman at its most extreme end means turning humans into gods with the help of technology that's the whole what transhumanism or whatever where they want to make they want to merge humans and and cyborgs um it's the it's the foundation for that line of thinking cutting out all the middlemen from everything in life means a pretty boring show to be honest with you given smaller and smaller miniaturization of technology and the leaps and bounds into energy resources you could assume at the extreme end your day would be like this i want some food and i just think it and nutrients are pumped into my system from some device i want to go to paris i just think it and i'm teleported there instantly i want to talk to someone I think, and I'm instantly in contact with someone. An extreme and flawed example, but you get what I'm saying. Every far-flung show deals with this issue. First, just trying to figure out what future tech could be like. Second, trying to handle it and still make a story with conflict. Because if there's no people that are at risk for anything number 1 you really you really run into a wally scenario and wally was pretty darn on point i feel where the humans just do less and less and less and we just become these giant amorphous blobs on on jazzy scooters um and that's a really a hard thing to determine um and with people not at any risk with computers doing everything then that's not a that's not a show so you you're writing yourself into this corner as a writer and it's it's got problems, right? Well, 40K does not have that problem. 40K gets it right. So if a series like Star Trek has this issue just a couple a couple hundred years in the future, how could a series set tens of thousands of years in the future handle this? To be honest, GW did the smart thing, and they were just like, oh, uh, we just forgot a bunch of stuff. They started over and had to rediscover all of it. When you look at 40K, the technology is more or less World War II era tanks just nuke it from orbit obviously some missions wouldn't involve nuking everything from orbit but what about low altitude nukings yeah that could work i mean you know trying to fight and fund a ground war with tanks and soldiers is why why less efficient than just making targeted strikes against what you need dead just the sheer food water ammunition fuel etc to fund a ground war would make nuking option A in your in your playbook you're just like you know what I'm not going to feed all these soldiers and train them and equip them and try to hold land I'm just going to nuke all of your cities and cripple you like I, you don't even have to nuke them you could just blast them to hell and people would give up Of course, I'm speaking in generalities, but you get what I mean. I feel like the only way a futuristic show like Star Trek could ever progress the timeline would be to have some sort of terrible thing happen to their technology and have humanity and all of the races set back to the drawing boards. But at the end of the day, that's not the optimistic Star Trek show everyone knows and loves. But I feel like they'd have to follow in 40K's footsteps in order to deal with all these tech issues. And you know what? In the most recent season of Star Trek Discovery, um, I threw my hands up and quit after like episode three because it was so stupid. But um, I did see in some spoilers that uh, that they did actually do a lot of this. They had something called The Burn and there's no more warp travel and blah, blah, blah. Because to be honest with you, they had to do it I mean I I think their writing is pretty terrible the show has great actors it really does Sonequa Martin-Green I think is a fantastic actor and I love her um and most of the other actors are totally fine but the writing oh my god it is I could just go on forever about it it is not science fiction anymore it's like cry fest 2021 and it's just it's terrible Um, but they did, they actually did go back somewhat to the drawing board. The Federation has collapsed and all this stuff. Now it's not really in keeping with the, the futuristic optimistic view of Star Trek that we all know and love, but it kind of had to happen. They jumped to like the year 4,000 or something. I don't know. I don't even care anymore. But the point is, is they, they jumped way ahead in time and oh, lo and behold, everything's collapsed. Well, I couldn't have foreseen that because I mean, you basically have to. Otherwise, we're all just gods and we're hooked up to machines and everything is perfect. So if you think about it, I don't know that 40K and GW was necessarily um, necessarily original in what they did, but it certainly was clever and it was used well for them to be like, oh, uh, we forgot how to do all this. And then they leave all these Easter eggs in the lore where like, oh, these STC uh, templates yeah, they um they're hidden and every once when we find one, Balsarius calls just gonna make us a new land raider and it hovers now. Like that's that's pretty cool. Actually, I don't think that was an STC, but you get the point. Just shut up. Don't don't correct me. Don't correct me silently through your headphones. I don't like that. Don't like it at all. Anyway, thank you so much to everybody for listening to the show, and thank you to my wonderful Patreon patrons. You can support us at patreon.com slash pimpcron with two Ps. And you can also Support us by going to gamat.eu and buying a bunch of shit. Uh, <laughs> nah, they got they got and uh, gamemats, Mats and they support the show. So, um, Matosh Matos, I always mess up his name. It's it's not an American name, and me being a smug American, I'm I always mispronounce his name. I I only know how to spell it. I don't know how to pronounce it, but Matosh, I think it is. Uh, anyway, Matosh is a really nice guy. I've dealt with him for years through Shorehammer, and uh, you should go support his company. All right, I will see you next week. Toodaloo!